1: in church, say hello to those around you, and you guys can have a seat. So uh, everybody is warm in here, and if you need to get warmer, just get closer to people. Uh, but guys, it's a good it's a good day to be alive, and I'm excited to worship with you this morning. Just a couple things to highlight: if you pass the friendship folders, we appreciate that. Um, one thing is that we've been back we've been back to our schedule on Wednesday night. So student ministry, children's ministry, men's and women's groups. Uh, all the information is available on our website. But we're back rolling 6:30 every Wednesday night, and uh, and just make sure you, you put that in your schedule. And we'd love to see you. One thing too is at the end of the month. January 27th, we're going to be having our Next Steps meeting. And what this is, is this is for those who are looking to take that next step and join the church and, you know, ask questions about, you know, how do I serve here? What's available ministry-wise? You know, how do we do, what's leadership look like here? All that stuff. We talk about it. Free food, free child care. And then if you go to our website, it's right on the front page. You can go to the website and click that. That banner at the bottom, and it'll take you. You can see information about where it is, what it's going to be like, and also how to, you can register there. Or in your bullets, And there's a little half sheet you can register for that as well, and just put it in the offering plate as it passes. But I want to I want to share that Zach and Ellen are not with us this morning because they just welcomed their baby Lena Louise. So can we just thank God for her? Yep. But yeah, they're uh, they're just so excited, and we're just so um, we're just so humble to just celebrate with them as a part of our church family. And so Zach and Ellen and, Lo- and Lena Louise, love that name. They're just doing really well, and so keep them in your prayers and encourage and, and just encourage them. But we're excited to have them back with us soon. And uh, yeah, just just celebrating and thanking God for little little Lena. Um, I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward this morning as we receive this offering, and I just want to say too that if you see that play pass by, if you're brand new, feel free to participate. This is for those who call this church their home. But if you look in front of you, there's a little orange card. And maybe you've seen these cards kind of over the weeks. And that little orange card is something you can write a prayer request on. And whatever information you feel comfortable giving, you can put that prayer request in that, on that card and put it in the plate as it passes. But we just count it a privilege to pray for you. And it's a humbling experience to pray for you. And so just know that is available if there's any way we can serve you in that way. But guys, uh, we're excited about what God's going to do this morning. And let's go before the Lord. Jesus, we love you. And uh, just just thinking about the songs we just sang, you are holy. God, we approach you and, and declare you are holy. God, we declare that you are our God. And God, we know that you are the one that pursues us, the one that loves us, the one that gives us life and purpose and meaning in your Son Jesus Christ. And so, as we move on in this in this time together, I pray that we would just get all of our stuff on the table, that we would acknowledge the mess of this week or the mess of this morning, God, how we've fallen short, and that we would just make you the priority, that we would focus on you, and know that when we focus on you, when we meet with you, when we are in your presence, we are learning from you, or we're questioning things and we're communing with you. We're reading in your word and we're worshiping you through song and through serving and all the different ways that we can here on earth. God, that we are growing. We are moving that needle and not doing more, but being more like Jesus. And so God, I pray that this morning we would find peace, that we would just rest in your love, knowing that day in and day out, when we fail, when we fall short, we are still loved by you. No matter what we do, no matter what we will do, no matter what we've come from, we're still loved And so, God, we just are humbled and just thank you for loving us. And now we give to the mission to see lives changed by Jesus Christ. And we ask all these things in your holy, precious name.
0: Yeah.
2: Go man, that's my new workout song for 2019. Ah, uh, poor Hunter man, that's my nephew. I told him to grab the Pope, but He thought it was going to be light. He thought it was a Samson series. Arrgh! That po- this podium was 57 pounds. So when you see the guys lift it up, you know they've been working out, man. Thanks. Let's thank Hunter for grabbing that. I appreciate that, man. Oh, always some fun times at church, isn't it? Ah, we're in the middle of a series to talk about new beginnings. You know, it's all about new beginnings. It's never too late to start a new beginning. And uh, in your life, I want you to realize that it's never too late to start a new beginning. And the reason that we have to understand that is because many times we have things that are broken. We have many times there are ruins that happen in our life, and we have to start a new beginning. We have to start over. We have to relook at life, and we have to we have to re 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 redo some areas of our life. And so as we're going through this book of Nehemiah, this is the season, January is the season when people are thinking about starting new beginnings or starting new things in their life. Uh, you know, the health club is filled all the way up until February the 5th. And so it's like, you know, th- this is the season, right? But I want you to realize these are principles that you want to take and you want to apply all your long And you want to apply every time that there's a new beginning that has to start. And right now, you may be looking at some areas of your life. I know I'm looking at a few areas. As I was studying this, I looked two months ago, and I said, wow, there's a few areas that are broken. And there's some walls that have been broken down, some uh, some areas that need to be rebuilt in my own life. And so I'm taking these principles, and I'm applying them to my own life. And I want to encourage you to come and to take some of these principles and apply them to your life. You know, you don't have to be the best to be a, a rebuilder. You don't. Uh, You know, Nehemiah was not the best by far, but he cared the most. And I want to encourage you to understand that in your life. In order to rebuild, you don't have to be the best. You don't have to be the perfect husband or the perfect wife to rebuild a marriage, but you have to care. Uh, You don't have to be the best to come and and help in the children's ministry and to build and, and to grow and do things, but you have to care. Same in our youth ministry, same in all of our ministries of our church. You know, our church, we have a purpose, we have a mission, and we are constantly building lives, we're rebuilding lives. And we're not the best, but I'll tell you what, we care the most. We care the most, and I want to encourage you as you step out and grow in your spiritual life. To uh, and you're you're looking at some areas that you need to rebuild in your life. Just be the person who cares the most. And we're going to look today. There's there's going to be four principles that we're going to draw from Nehemiah chapter two that are going to be important to your uh, to your rebuilding process. Last week, just to catch up on the speed, we looked at Nehemiah chapter one. Nehemiah was just a cupbearer to the king. It was a prestigious place to be, but he was not a prophet, he was not a priest, he was not a king, he was not in a position of high power. Uh, He had a great civil service job, so he had had a great job, he got the... Test all the food before he gave it to, to the king. Drink the wine, give the wine to the king. Uh, eat the food, give the food to the king. And I said, where were those jobs whenever I was looking? You know, wouldn't that be a great job? Just sip that stuff all day, eat that stuff, and hand it over to the king. But, you know, if somebody was trying to kill him, I guess you died that day, right? So, it, it, you know, has its strollbacks, but it was a pretty cushy job all along the way. And so here's Nehemiah. He's just living life. And in, uh, in, in the back story was, remember, that uh, the city of Jerusalem, uh, about 140 years earlier before Nehemiah, in comes uh, Nebuchadnezzar, and they siege the, the nation of Israel. They seize Jerusalem, and, uh, and they deport. They take the people out, all the key leaders. They take them out. That's whenever Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the story of Daniel and the lions then, that was all under Nebuchadnezzar, all right? So they deported him to Babylon. Babylon was the great superpower. In comes Persia. Persia now is the, the, uh, the great superpower. And so here he is now. He's, he's been deported. Uh, this has been like 140 years worth of history. And now here's Nehemiah. He is the cupbearer to the king. And he has a memory of his family. He's got ancestors that were buried back in Jerusalem. His heart is broken. And God has placed this on his heart because God wants him to go back and want to rebuild the wall. He had no special ability. He was not a wall builder. This was not in his, in his uh, resume to be, to be a wall builder. He was a cupbearer. And so one day, God takes an ordinary man, and he gives him an extraordinary purpose. And that's what, as we go through the book of Nehemiah, I want you to look at your life, and I want you to see yourself as an ordinary person that God wants to do something extraordinary through, because that's how God works. God, does, there, there is nobody that's extraordinary. We're just ordinary, normal people. And God, those are the people that God uses. As a matter of fact, if you look and you're reading the New Testament, you'll see that God tends to use the weak. Because in our weakness, Christ is made strong. So here was Nehemiah, just an ordinary person. And the same with you. God wants to use ordinary people just like me, just like you. Before Nehemiah ever left Persia, before he started to assemble his team, before he put the first stone around the wall, he lived with a burden. Nehemiah chapter two, verse one, every year, uh, early the following spring in the month of Nisan, so four months later from chapter one, okay, four months later in the month of Nisan, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes reign, so again, we're getting some history marks so you can go back and actually find this in history. This was not a story with a moral. This is actual history. God gave it to us. We're reading the memoirs of Nehemiah himself. I was serving the king his wine. I had never before appeared sad in his presence. So the king asked me, Why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. Then I was terrified. And so what was happening here was that for four months, Nehemiah has been on this journey. He's praying, he's fasting, he's mourning, but he never let on. He went to work, and he had a smile on his face every day at work. He, uh, he had the cup uh, before the king. He would sip, sip of the king's wine. Like he said there, I served, and I, I was serving the king his wine. So he sipped, and he would give it on. He would eat of the king's food, and he would give it on. And uh, he had never appeared sad in his presence. You know, that's exactly how Jesus told us to fast. He said, Matthew six sixteen. And when you fast, don't make it obvious, as the hypocrites do, for they try to, uh, to look miserable and disheveled so that people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that is the only reward they will ever get. Nehemiah was the real deal. He was an authentic follower of God. He wasn't putting on a show. He never, uh, until this point, displayed that, that he had sorrow for the situation that he was going through. His burden never found it to his face because he kept going and kept serving. He served King Artaxerxes well, and no one knew of his sadness. But all that changed one day. One day, Nehemiah goes in, and inadvertently, he shows his feelings on his face, and the king says, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be troubled. And then he says, I was terrified. You know why he was terrified? Because he was the cupbearer. And if the cupbearer was going to have any change of his routine, it would show on his face. Uh, King Artaxerxes His dad, who was a king, was assassinated. So the cupbearer was a very key important part of his security team, very important part of of his daily life. And if there was something going on, if this guy was up to trouble, it would show on his face. So when he says, I was terrified, right there, his life came into question. He was terrified that he would lose his life at that moment because the king would automatically think treason. The king would automatically think that he's a, a, an assassination attempt, that the Jewish people are, are putting something in his food. And look how he responds here. He says, verse 3 I was terrified, but I replied, Long live the king. Now, that's another way of saying there's nothing in your drink, King Art. All right? I long live the king. How can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins, and the gates have been destroyed by fire. I want to share with you, first of all, one of the principles I want to pull from this chapter this morning is to live your life with a goal in mind. Live your life with a goal in mind. Um, This is what Nehemiah did. Nehemiah went to work every day. He had a job, and his job was to be the cupbearer, and he did really well at it. You know, to be the cupbearer, they didn't just randomly pick a cupbearer. You had to kind of work your way through the ranks. It was a lot of integrity, a lot of honesty. Uh, your, your character went before you. So his character went before him. He was a, a great hard worker, and, and, but yet he had a, a life purpose. He had a goal that was bigger than his job. And I want to challenge us as a church that we have goals that are bigger than our jobs. Uh, God has given us our jobs. They're extremely important. We're to go work hard. We function well at them. We serve our boss well. We serve our community well. We serve the people that we work with well. But God has given you a purpose that is bigger than your vocation, that is bigger than a job. He has given you a purpose here today that, uh, that he wants for you to do. And so we've got to understand that Nehemiah, as Nehemiah went through all of this, he had a purpose in mind, and the purpose was that he was going to go back and rebuild the wall. That was his goal in mind. And so I ask you, what is your goal? What is the goal that God's tapping at your heart to do? I asked you last week, what breaks your heart? What, what is God speaking to you about in the depth of your soul that, that you want to, to go do? There's a passion that he's laid upon your heart. You know, you have a bigger purpose than your job. You have a bigger purpose than your house. You have a bigger purpose than your bank account. And Nehemiah, his purpose was even bigger than the wall. Let me share with you what happened. Again, the backstory here was that uh, Jerusalem was in ruins. Nebuchadnezzar had taken the people, the Israelites, captive. Time passes, and Cyrus has compassion for the people, and he wants their God. He wants favor with their God, so he allows them to rebuild the temple. You read that over in Second Chronicles chapter thirty-six. But then, then Artaxerxes stops the rebuilding process. So this is the same king who, over in Ezra chapter 4 through 6, he stops the rebuilding process, the progress, due to his counsel telling him, hey, you know, you might not want to let these people, you might get some problems out of these people. Why are we going to let them have, have, have the safety, the security around over there? So the remnants of Israel begin to intermarry, worship Stops the practices, end, the worship practices end, and what is happening is that God is calling Nehemiah to build the wall around the city, not just so that the wall will be back up and in place, but so that there will be worship restored to the people of God that the people of God will return and become worshipers of God. This is our life goal. This is our purpose in life, is to help people become worshipers of God, to help them to become followers of Jesus Christ. So at your job, your job is extremely important, but God has something even higher importance, is to help people become worshipers of God. And so live your life with a goal, and, and I think that we all have, um, there's specifics that God wants from each of us. There are things that, that, that's kind of the general goal, but maybe God says in your life he wants you to, he's broken your heart to go do something to feed people that are hungry, people in our community. You know, I saw our kids walking out of here on Wednesday night. Our little preschool kids were walking out with bags for blessings in a backpack program, uh, and our birthday gift to Jesus, which, by the way, we went to 132000 Can we thank God for that this morning? What a great God, huh? Uh, we, we support the Blessings in a Backpack program. We, we give financially to our local community to help put food into these bags. But uh, I, I saw our preschool kids walking out of here Wednesday night with bags, and they're going to come back in a few weeks filling them up. Why? Because somebody in our church has a burden to go help feed homeless people and people that need food in our community and people that are struggling and kids that are coming to school every day and don't have food on the weekend. Wow, you say, that's in our community? Yeah, it's in our community. It really is. And so I'm thanking God. See, what happens is God God comes alongside and he taps somebody on the shoulder and says, hey, I've given you a plan. I've given you a mission. And then other people, they'll, they'll, have, they'll have missions for other things. And, and, but it's still, you see what we're trying to do? We're not just putting food in their mouth. We're putting food in their mouth in the name of Jesus, and we want them to become worshipers of God. And this is what God will do with you. He will plant something on your heart that you are going to go do. What is bigger than your job? What is bigger than your bank account? What is bigger than you? That's why I love the birthday gift of Jesus in our church, folks, because it's bigger than us. It's way bigger than us. You know, we we have our community outreaches that we do here. We have so many things that we are doing to help in the community, and it's powerful. I commend you, church. You are stepping up. You are making a difference in our community. This town. Imagine, I wonder what our community would say if we were not here would they notice that we're not here anymore? I believe yes. I believe they would because we're out there. We're making an impact, not just in Finleyville, but all over the Mon Valley area here, all over the south hills of Pennsylvania, uh, of Pittsburgh. We are making an impact. And, you know, if we weren't here, what, what, what would the difference be? And I want you to think about that because that's what God is going to break our hearts to go do. That is why we were able to send out that birthday gift to Jesus because there's a missionary going to receive a, a, a check and it's going to totally surprise them. They're going to be totally caught off guard that the amount that's able to come because God touched your heart to make a difference and do something that was bigger than us. Live with a goal in mind. I read about Michael Jordan. You know Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan, one of the greatest basketball players back in the day. Dominated 15 years of the NBA when he played for the Chicago Bulls. During that 15-year time span, he averaged 32 points per game. It didn't matter who the opposition was. Didn't matter who was covering him, Didn't matter what injury he was coming off of. His average in every game that he entered was around 32 points per game. So as he got in there, uh, one, one day a uh, reporter came up and asked him and said, How are you able to maintain such such great play? How did you get to average 32 points per game? And Jordan replied, It's simple. It takes only eight points per quarter to average 32 points per game. I find some way each quarter to simply get those eight points, four baskets. What was Jordan doing? He was living with a goal. And that's what Nehemiah was doing. He was living with a goal. I mean, Jordan broke it down. It's, it's just four. Michael Jordan says four points. Says, you know, eight, eight, eight points, four baskets, four baskets per quarter. I can do that. You see, he simplified it, and he lived on target. And I want to encourage you to live on target. If we're going to have a new beginning, it's going to require us to have a goal in life. Somebody once said, if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. And you know what? I found that to be so true. If you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. You have to have a goal. You have to have a purpose. You have to have direction. And this is is what keeps me on in my Christian life. Because I have a goal in my Christian life. My goal is to honor God with my life. My goal is to love him, to worship him. And so as you take your life and you have a purpose, you have a direction, do you realize if you don't have that purpose and direction, you will be tossed and turned by anything that comes into your way. Uh, there, there was a story one time about the man who came into town and, and uh, you know, he, he never aimed at anything, but he shot his gun off everywhere. And as he shot the gun off everywhere, afterwards he came back and drew targets around all, all the places where the gun shot off, right? And he said, see, I, I accomplished my goal. Well, that's not, that's not how you want to live life. You don't want to be just random and saying, wow well, look, I feel better about myself. You want to go out and you want to live a life. Following Jesus, and if you set that down as your goal, then whenever things come into your life that that, that want it to go the opposite way, you will have a deterrent against it see it 's just so easy here you are you're, you're, this is where God wants me to go. I know that in my life, God wants me to love my wife, to love my family, to care right, and all of a sudden there comes something and, and it tries to sway you off that, Well, you 're going to come right back to here because this is my goal this is my target, this is where I want to be. But uh, if I just let it be to how I feel that day, man, my feelings go like this: it goes over here, then it goes over here, and half. Yeah, my, you know, my feelings are rarely on the target. Your feelings are all over the map, so you can't judge life by your feelings, by how the day went. Nehemiah wasn't saying, "Well, you know what? I think I want to build the wall. If everything is happy, it's going to be wonderful. We're going to find a bunch of bricks." You know, it wasn't like that. He says, I've got a burden. And he was crying and pleading to God for four months. Then he comes before the king and he has this discussion. And the king, the king is, uh, is, is, is overwhelmed. But he had a goal. The, the king is wondering, what can I do for you? And he's going to get to that next. But I want you to think about your life. There are a lot of broken down walls and a lot of homes because men and women have no real goal in mind. They have little idea about where they're going. Over in Ephesians 5, it clears that up for us. It gives us the goal for your family. It says, the husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. Wow, Christ loved the church selflessly. He loved it sacrificially. That's the goal. Every husband in here, that's your goal this morning, to go home and to love your wife selflessly and sacrificially. That means it means a lot, doesn't it? It means everything from taking the snow off the car in the morning. It means to being faithful to come home at night. It means selfless. It means sacrifice. And then if you continue to read in Ephesians 5, it says, then the wives are to submit to the husbands. And it talks about this mutual submission. And here's what happens. When the husband loves unconditionally and he sacrifices, then the wife, she works with the husband, it's a beautiful picture of how God made the family to be. Because then the, the husband, he's not to be a tyrant. He's to, be, he's to love. He's to care. He's to sacrifice. And, and the wife is not to be a slave. She's to submit, And we work together. And so as we lay out the goal for the family, do you see how that changes everything? And then it, so it's no longer about, well, my needs aren't being met. I've heard many people tell me that through the years. Well, my, me- my needs just aren't being met. I look through the Scripture. I just don't see that anywhere. <laughs> I just don't see God saying, well, you know, if your needs aren't met, look somewhere else. You see, that's because you live with a goal in mind. And my goal is to love my spouse, to love my family. When the husband loves his wife unconditionally, sacrificially, that's whenever you have the happy wife. And a happy wife, men means happy life, right? So listen, that and that does not mean perfect. Remember, I'm not the perfect husband. Men, there, women, there are no perfect husbands in here. God didn't make a perfect husband. Can I hear an amen some men? All right, women, amen. I, okay, I don't know. They're, amen. My husband's not perfect, right? All right. But, uh, you know, there's a goal. And when we set the goal, my goal is to be my kid's Parents, not necessarily for them to like me. My goal is to love them, to grow them, and you see, when you have that in mind, boy, life comes at you, and it takes you off course. You just come right back to the goal. You're able to keep coming back. That's what Nehemiah was doing. You know, in our church, we have a goal. The goal that God has called us specifically to here is to bring people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Churches get busy doing all kind of things. It's amazing. They can add program after program after program. And we have said here that we're going to do a few things and do them right and so we, are, we love kids in our church. We love children. If you have been here more than a month, you will know that we love children. I bring it up constantly. We love teenagers. We love people of all ages, children, teenagers, all the way up till the day we die. We care about people in this church. And so when we care about you, we're going to bring you to this relationship with Jesus. And that is what this is all about. I, uh, I stopped in this week. A friend of ours that we grew up with here in the church passed away, and I stopped by the funeral home to see their family. And they they were like, "Wow, you're the pastor now." I said, "Yeah, that's what I say." Wow, I'm the pastor now, you know? They remember me when I was seven years old, coming on the church bus, and and I'll never forget Jim Flynn. He he looked and he goes, "So how's the church doing?" And I said, "It's doing pretty good. God's growing." He goes, "Well, what's going on?" I said, honestly. We have the same DNA that we've always had. We're still on the target. Because whenever I was a little kid, they told us, if you go to church, you got the donut, right? So I went to church, got the donut, and lots of donuts, right? So I kept going. Then they said, you know, keep coming, and you're going to find God. So I kept coming. I found God. And that's what we're doing today. We're still on the same mission. We don't hand out donuts near at the rate we used to. But we're still bringing people to Jesus. And people are still lives are being transformed, and that is what happens when you live with a purpose. I want to encourage you to live with a purpose. Uh, next is be ready to take a step of faith. When you have a purpose, look for opportunities because the opportunities are going to come. Um, and opportunities are—that's just the word opportunity. Opportunity says it doesn't happen every day, right? When you think opportunity, when I have an opportunity, I want to take an opportunity. Be ready to take a step of faith. So God has given you a goal, and now be ready to take a step of faith. For example, the the people in our church that are excited about the blessings in a backpack, they saw an opportunity to teach little children in our church to bring in items that will help fill fill the need for people in our community. They saw an opportunity. They seized the opportunity. They took that opportunity, and God is going to bless it greatly. So this is how God works. We take a step of faith. faith is is about an action. faith is i 'm going to do this knowing that I trust God is in this, and uh, honestly i 'm a little bit afraid that 's what I think of when I think of opportunity that 's what I think of faith. Faith is oh this is this is hard, and i don 't know this is, look look at Nehemiah here, verse two verse four. The king said to me, "What is it that you want?" So he tells him his burden he says that he's burdened for the city. He wants to rebuild the city, right? Nehemiah's head is spinning. He didn't even ask the king for anything. And he just started, you know, his face was sad. And so the king says, what is it that you want me to do? What can I do for you? You know what Solomon said about the king? I love what Solomon said over in Proverbs 21.1. He says that the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water... He turns it wherever he wishes. Here's Nehemiah. He's a cupbearer. He's just going to work. It's an average day of work. And all of a sudden, God is placing an opportunity for him to, uh, to accomplish the goal in mind. As he has placed this opportunity before him, here he comes, and here's what was happening. God was working in the king's heart. This was the same king that stopped progress on the wall. This was the same king that stopped resources. So here he comes. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. The king said to me, what is it that you want? And then I love the very next phrase out of Nehemiah's mouth. He says, then I prayed to the God of heaven. I would have said it like this. And then I said, oh, dear Lord. Here it is. You, you, he's been praying. Over in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 11, he was praying. He said, Lord, if it be your will, let the king be gracious to me. Let the king be kind to me that I could go and, and I've gotta, I know I've got to talk to him. So four months pass. He's been, he's been troubled. His face for the first time, his countenance is down, and God opens the king's heart. Now, check this out. This is pretty powerful. It was an SOS prayer. And I want to encourage you, SOS prayers are great. I, I think that uh, we have to remember, you know, you're going to be at work, and there's going to be opportunities, there's going to be challenges, and you have to pray those. Lord, help me. Lord, I need help immediately. I need it now. I don't know what to do. I need your guidance. I need your protection as I make these decisions throughout my day. That's what was going on with Nehemiah. But I want to encourage you, the effect of prayer The key to effective prayer is not lengthy prayer, but loyal prayer. In other words, prayer that comes back every day. Keep coming back every day. I want to encourage you to develop a prayer life. I want to encourage you to have a a daily time that you meet with God. It could be five minutes. It could be 25 minutes. You be the one who sets the time because it's important in your life. And and, and open up God's word. Hear from God. Let him speak to you through some of his word. And develop a way of communication, talking to God, where you begin to talk to God about the problems of life, about the praises of life. And you have this friendship. So here's what happens. See, if I don't develop a prayer life, when it's time for the SOS prayers, I'm probably not going to go to the SOS prayer. I'm going to go to worry instead. And so God wants you to take, see, if I develop this now. It's like if you know me as a friend, you are apt to call me immediately when there's a problem. You have no problem. You know that at 2 in the morning that I'll answer your call in the morning, right? So you, you know that you can call me, but you'll leave that message at 2 in the morning. You know I'll get to you at 8 o'clock. It's like you, you know you have access to me. Why? Because we have a relationship. But if you don't have a relationship, you're afraid to call. You say, well, I don't know. I might wake him up. Then if you do know me, you know, well, he's sleeping anyhow, all right? So, do, do you see? And that's what it is with God. When you have a relationship with God, second nature. So you, I wanna encourage us all. Let's take your prayer life. Let's make it a priority. If you do not make your, priori- your prayer life a priority, it will not grow. If you do not make your spiritual life priority. You will not grow. Things don't grow on accident. When I want to grow something in the yard, I plant a flower. You have to water it. You have to nurture it. You have to give it the food, the vital nutrients necessary. You go for four weeks without watering a flower, you don't have a flower anymore. And the same is true in your spiritual life you want the SOS prayers, grow it every day. Grow it every day so that you are not going to worry and fret and stress. But grow this time. And I want to encourage you, make that. It's so important. I I tell people, set a goal five out of seven days a week. That's a great goal. Meet with God five out of seven days a week. You know why? Because nobody can do seven out of seven. I haven't met anybody yet who's done seven out of seven perfect. Um, Go five out of seven days. And if you miss Friday, guess what? you got Saturday to make up for it, right? And if you miss Saturday and Sunday, you're still on track. You start again on Monday. And set, set that goal because you can do that. And what happens is you will grow your spiritual life. So I want to encourage you, set your goal. Be ready to take a step of faith. The king asked Nehemiah, well, how can I help you? How can I help you? He took a step of faith. Look at what he does here. He immediately, because he had his plan figured out, he was ready to go. Immediately, he says, if it please the king, and if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. Send me back to Judah to rebuild it. The king with the queen sitting beside him. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? It's kind of like in parentheses, the king but the queen sitting beside him because queens didn't sit beside the king when important decisions were made. Queens weren't often beside the king whenever there was something important about to happen. The queen was sitting there and uh, some scholars believe that this was actually Esther, Queen Esther. If you go back and read the book of Esther, some of them actually think it was Queen Esther. She had a love for the Jewish people, right? And so, uh, so that's, that's who some scholars believe it. But I know it was like this. The king's sitting there and the request comes, how long will you be gone? How long will you return? When will you return? After I told him how long I would be gone, the king agreed to my request. I could just see the king sitting there and here he is. Uh, the cupbearer says, well, I need to be gone. And he tells him how long he's going to be gone. He tells him what I, what I need, you know, when I'll come back. And he looks over at the, looks over at the queen and she goes, mm-hmm guys, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? You know, it's just like, "Mm hmm, and that's exactly the situation. After I told him how long I would be gone, the king agreed to my request. Know your mission. Know what God wants you to do. Get in touch with God and let God give you these burdens. Listen, our church, we have a burden. We have a passion to bring people to Christ. That's what we're doing. We have a burden from missionaries. We, we, we are a pipeline supply line to the missionaries. We're, we're sending out the supply. Why? Because they're bringing people into a growing relationship with Jesus. Uh, people are, are doing things all over our community. So what about in your own life? Let's take this to what are some walls that need to be rebuilt in your own life? Here's a good one. Uh, just, to, you know, you got to be able to say it. Maybe it is, I'm going to get my family out of debt. I want to get healthy this year. I want to get financially healthy. I want to get out of debt. That is a target. That's a goal. And when the opportunities come, you're going to be able to take the opportunities to do the right things. I want to feed those in need in my town. That's a direct statement. I want to start an orphanage. You know, there's uh, two ladies, Kathy Galker and Alice. Kathy and Alice. Kathy is Tracy Malhorn's aunt down in Haiti. I am overwhelmed since I've met them. They were two ladies that were ministering in the hollers of West Virginia at one point. They were young ladies back then. Today, you look at them and you say they're two little old ladies. But they weren't two little old ladies at one point. They were two young women, and they sensed God had a plan for their life. And they went and they sought God. God gave them a mission, said, I want you to go to Haiti. I want you to care for the orphans of Haiti. So they went down there and they have cared for 40 years for the orphans of Haiti. I was reading, we can get involved to help them start more orphanages. Uh, they have an orphanage where they, they're ministering to over 100 children every day. They're growing these people. They're living, them, uh, living with them. And so for 40 years, that they've been doing that. Can you imagine that? Take 100 orphans every year for the past 40 years. You want to talk about a powerful impact of your life? Because somebody said yes and took a step of faith. Do you know how scary that was for them to go to Haiti the first time they went? And to be two single women who went down there, how scary, how hard that must have been. You know what they did? They took an opportunity. And I want to encourage you, take the opportunities as God brings them to you. But also, I want you to understand that opportunities don't always just happen. Sometimes we have to knock. Jesus said over in Matthew 7, 7, ask and it will be given to you. That's our prayer life. Ask, it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. I tell young people all the time opportunities, you have to knock. Sometimes the door is closed. God says, Knock, the door will be open. As you're moving along in life, you want, you want to do something. You believe that God's given you a mission and a vision. You knock on that door, God will open it, or God will close it but our job is to knock. Our job is to keep going forward. You see, if Nehemiah would have just said, well, king, uh, yeah, my heart's been broken, and let me come back to you in a couple months. We'll figure this out. He would never have, he would have missed the opportunity. And so for us in our life, we have got to be ready to take the opportunity, take that step of faith to seize those opportunities that God gives to us. All throughout the New Testament, we see people that did that. James and John. Jesus said, follow me. Uh, over in Matthew 4, 22. Immediately, they followed him, leaving their boats and their and their family behind. Uh, Mark 2, 12. Four friends carry their friend into Jesus, lower him through the roof. Uh, he was lame. He was crippled, and they wanted him to be healed. And, and after he met Jesus, Jesus heals him. And what does the man do? Immediately, he arose, took up the bed and went out into the presence of all the people so that all were amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. There was an immediate action. And so God calls us to to be ready to take those steps of faith. Uh, Next this morning, I want to encourage you to make plans carefully. Make plans carefully. I think we, we sometimes think that faith has no plan. Uh, God wants us to make plans. He's given you a mind. He's given you a heart. He's given you the ability to make a plan. But in Proverbs says, you know, Proverbs tells us that, that we make the plans, but God directs our path. So as we take the plans, God is the one in charge of opening and closing doors. You may plan a certain way of your life, but at the end of the day, God is going to be the one directing Nehemiah 2:7 I also said to the king if it pleases the king let me have letters addressed to the governor of the province west of the Euphrates river instructing them to let me travel safely through the territories on my way to Judah Do you see his plan here was his, he, he had it ready to go He waited for the for the moment he waited for the opportunity and he said to the king hey I need safety And if it pleases the king, would you give me permission? Give me a letter to give the governor so that I can get over to there. Verse 8, he says, and please give me a letter addressed to Asap, the manager of the king's forest, instructing him to give me timber. I will need it to make the beams for the gates of the temple fortress, for the city walls, and for a house for myself. And the king granted these requests because the gracious hand of God was on me. Do you see what he did? He had a plan, and his plan came, he was able to execute his plan because God's gracious hand. Check this out. This is my favorite part of the book. The king granted these requests. Read it with me. Because the gracious hand of God was on me. He didn't say the king granted it to me because I had the most perfect plan. He said the gracious hand of God was upon me we can learn from his planning. He was ready to go. I'm sure there were things that he had to fine-tune, change along the way. But look, he says, I want some wood from your forest king to rebuild those gates and a house for myself. I need you to help me. Verse nine, when I came to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates River, I delivered the king's letters to them. The king uh, I, I should add, had sent along army officers and horsemen to protect me. So he sent along an entourage to help and protect him. But when Sambalat the Hornite and Tobiah the Ammonite officially heard of my arrival, they were displeased that someone had come to help the people of Israel. We're going to talk about these guys next week because they're the opposition to the mission. Okay, we're going to come back to them. Uh, Nehemiah 2:11. So I arrived in Jerusalem. Three days later, I slipped out during the night, taking only a few others with me. I had not told anyone about the plans that God, uh, that, that God had put in my heart. We took no pack animals with us except the one that I was riding. After dark, I went out through the valley gate, past the jackal's wall, and over to the dung gate to inspect the broken walls and burn down gates. Now, that word inspect is a medical term. It's examined. You know, when you go to the doctor, the doctor examines you, and he starts pushing all around, you know? He's looking for something squishy. I ain't got nothing squishy here, guys. Yeah, he's, he's feeling around. He wants to see if it feels right, and he pushes in deep. He goes, mm, I think, uh, have, you, have you had this problem? He starts to ask further questions, right? He was examining. He's probing. He's hitting all the spots. He wants to see if he needs to examine further. And that's the same term. He, Nehemiah goes out and he's examining the situation because he wants to continue to plan this thing and to do it right. He goes out at night and at nighttime, he sees that there are things that are problems. Nehemiah saw all the brokenness. He saw the trash that had been piling up for decades. Verse 14, then I went to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but my donkey couldn't get through the rubble. So, th- so though it was still dark, I went up the Kidron Valley, inspecting the wall before I turned back and entered again to the valley gate. The city officials did not know that I had been out there or that I, what I was doing. I had not yet said anything to anyone else about my plans. I had not yet spoken to the Jewish leaders, to the priests, to the nobles, to the officials, or anyone else in the administration. At that point, he hadn't shared his plan. And then here it it comes. Now he shares his passion. And I want to encourage us to be people of passion. Because in verse 17, he goes, but now I said to them. So he goes out and he assesses the damage. He sees that there's problems. And, folks, this is what has to happen in our families. This is what has to happen in our community. Whatever God is calling you to do, you have to assess the damage. You have to see the rubble and the trash that has piled up. And then as you see God's vision for rebuilding, you share your passion. Come out and just share it. Here's what he does. He says, now I said to them, you know very well what trouble we are in. First thing he does, he tells them, I want you to face up to it. He says, we. He doesn't say I. He doesn't say you. He says, we. You know very well the trouble that we are in. Stop blaming others. You will never change if you blame somebody else for your problem. Catch that. You will never change. If, I've had people through the years say, Well, you know, my dad never loved me when I was a kid. Well, you can't blame your dad for your actions today. Well, my mom, you don't understand this happened in my family and, and, and this person. Listen, all those things are legitimate issues that happened in your life, but you cannot blame somebody else. For, for the problems that you have to deal with today. Stop blaming others and deal with the situation at hand. Face up. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Let us, he's talking about a team, let us rebuild. So he says team up, and then he says the gird up. We're going to rebuild, okay? So face up, team up, gird up. Uh, get off the couch. We're going to do something. We're not going to just sit around and look at the rubble anymore. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. Then I told them about how, how the gracious hand of God has been on me. Right there, he says, look up. Look up to God, because if you take all those principles without looking up to God, they're just good self-help. They're just good business principles that you can apply. God wants you to take and put him into your equation. Get off the couch, go do something, but look up. Here he says, I told them about how the gracious hand of God had been on me. I keep seeing that phrase over and over in this chapter. The gracious hand of God was upon me and about my conversation with the king, and they replied at once, yes, let's rebuild the wall. Share your passion You know what? God has called us to be people of passion in our community, people of passion in our homes. I like what John Wesley said. He said, light yourself with passion, and people will come from miles to watch you burn. As you are passionate, it will be so attractive and will attract people to our God. It will attract people to your mission. And Nehemiah, he came, he had passion, and he was attracted to, people were attracted to his God. People were attracted to the mission, and they said, yes, let's rebuild the wall. So they began the good work. Discouragement gave way to encouragement. Discouragement gave way to new hope. It only takes one person with a God-given vision in your home, in your office, in your school, in your community. One person with a God-given mission to make a difference and change the outlook of hundreds, thousands of people. Let's close in prayer. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, people like Nehemiah, People like Nehemiah help us to see things instead of just looking for things. And today I want you to see things in your life. What are the things that God wants to rebuild in your life? What is God calling you to do for our community? For our world? Maybe God's got somebody in here that's gonna be a world changer. Maybe you're a young person this morning. Maybe you're in high school. You sense God talking to you about something. I want you to go out and I want you to to respond to him. That's what happened to me as a kid. I came to the church here and somebody told me, you can do this. They taught me how to tell people about Jesus and man, I went off and I started doing it and that's been my passion ever since. What's God talking to you about this morning? God, be with each person in this place. Lord, there are families that need to be rebuilt. There are walls and rubbish things that have been broken and hurting for many years. God, give us the grace to look at those things face on, to face up, and then to team up. Let's, let, God, give us the passion that we can share with our family, share with our community, to team up, to gird up, to, to get the work done, but most importantly, to look up and see your gracious hand. At work in each one of our lives. Lord, be with each person as they respond to you throughout this day and the week to come. For it's in your precious name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and as uh, as you dismiss, would you please greet those around you? Welcome. We're glad you're here today.